been a long time since I've been up here to preach to you. I hope I know how to do it again. I invite you to pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There is something powerful about the book of Psalms. It's more powerful than the fact that if you don't know where the book of Psalms is, all you merely need to do is open your book right to the middle. Chances are the page will fall to one of the Psalms. And while it's the longest book of the Bible, the Psalms is also perhaps one of the most unique Although there are a couple of books that resemble it, there is no book that is exactly like it. It is not a story of a particular person that we find like in Esther or Job. It doesn't recount the history of a group of people like we find in Genesis or Exodus. And it's not a letter to a specific group of people like Galatians or the Corinthians. And it's not a prophetic book like Isaiah or Michael or Micah. And it's not one of the Gospels that recounts the life of Jesus. The Psalms stand alone. They stand alone in their variety and yet in their sameness. Each of the Psalms, it's a collection of songs, really, that were written by David and were sung throughout history about around The time that Jesus was born, we actually see in the Gospels a number of times where Jesus and his disciples would have gathered for meals. And for those in Jewish customs, they would have been singing some of these songs before and after meals. And so they were a very relevant part of Jesus's life and Jesus's ministry. And most of these songs or psalms were written by David, King David, but not all of them. Some of them we don't know who the author is. But the Psalms have been integral to the worship experiences of God's people through the ages, from long before Jesus to long after Jesus. In their uniqueness, the Psalms offer us much. They are a resource to all of us for teaching, for prayer, for caring for one another, for preaching, for hymn singing, and also for spiritual growth. The Psalms is a book for all of us as a community of faith, but also as an individual person. Now, the book of Psalms is a treasured hymn book by many, hymns that invite and express praise to our sovereign God, but they also give us words to pour out various feelings. And as Rebecca mentioned, these feelings, the feelings that we have experienced across our whole life, are evident in the Psalms. You usually can find a Psalm that will match your feeling for that day. And they even also help us with our questions to God. Now, I am a huge fan of Bono. Some of you may know who Bono is. Some of you may not. I always like people who go by one name. Bono is the lead singer of U2, which is a rock group. Bono grew up in the United Kingdom, and he is a humanitarian, a philanthropist, and has done incredible work 
of raising AIDS awareness and preventing the spread of AIDS throughout Africa and throughout the world. He is an amazing man who has done very much. Bono had a very difficult childhood. He grew up in a very, very depressed neighborhood and a very difficult family. In fact, at one point in his teenage years, he went and lived with another family, and that family attended church regularly. And in an interview that I just happened to come across this week in Rolling Stone magazine, but it's a, an old issue, Bono was being interviewed. And the interviewer was asking Bono about his spiritual life, which I thought is interesting, how many rock stars get asked about their spiritual life. And this was one of the largest sections of the interview. Bono writes, or he said, it was written in the article, even then, even when I was a teenager, I prayed more outside of the church than inside. It gets back to the songs I was listening to. To me, those songs, every song that I heard, they were prayers. How many roads must a man walk down? To me, that was not a rhetorical question. It was addressed to God. It's a question I wanted to know the answer to. And I'm sitting there wondering, who can I ask? I'm not going to go ask the school teacher. And so he asks God. Music forms us, as Bono reminded us. And so these hymns, these psalms, these songs... The songs that we sing to God and to one another in worship make us who we are. And isn't it amazing how a song can take you back to history? When you start singing a song, especially a hymn that you haven't sung for a while, or you hear a song on the radio and suddenly you're back into high school like that. I heard a song just this week that took me back to Honduras when I was there for a semester just like that. Some of you I know, some of you have shared with me how powerful that is, especially a song that was sung at a funeral of a loved one or a family. When you come across that song, you're suddenly hit by the grief. I know I still, to this day, 14 years later, cannot sing the song, there is a, there is a flower, in the bulb there is a flower. That song was sung at the memorial service of my best friend when she was murdered 14 years ago. And now I can at least hear that song without crying. But I still have not gotten to the point that I can sing it, and that's okay because I'm surrounded by you singing that song for me. And some of us, songs can be testimonies, testimonies to our life with God. We, most of us are familiar with the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And that was a song written by Horatio Spafford, who was attempting to process the tragic loss of his four daughters as they were going from the United States to England, and they were killed in a boat accident or a ship accident. The Book of Psalms also provides us a very basic prayer book, and it voices the needs of individuals and a community in times of trouble. And also, it is amazingly an instruction book. It's indicated in the very first Psalm, Psalm 1, we are invited to meditate day and night on the life-giving words of God. But a psalm can speak for itself, a standalone. 
One of the things that I was reminded this week as I was looking through the Psalms was the power of taking one Psalm and making it your daily prayer, your daily devotion, and just reading that Psalm over and over and over again, perhaps for a week, perhaps for a month, perhaps for a year. Imagine how those words will flow into you. They will become your own words. That is a gift that we can share with ourselves when we read them over and over again. And as these texts become our prayers and our heart songs, we come to know ourselves more fully and to, go, and to know God more surely. As we look at joy and gratitude, anger, desperation, sadness, frustration, delight, and even hopelessness, we realize that the Psalms are not a systematic theology. They are a treasury of experiences accumulated by generations and generations of people who have nourished their hopes and anxieties as they clung to their values and to their faith in God. When I was in seminary, I had a year-long internship at College Mennonite Church in Goshen, Indiana. College Mennonite is one of the largest Mennonite churches in the United States with over 1,200 members. And one day in the spring, I was given full responsibility of the congregation that weekend. It was Easter weekend, and so any emergencies or anything that came went through me first. The other nine pastors got called only if I called them. And one day, that Good Friday, I learned of a woman who was in her late 90s and who was dying. She was in the intensive care unit at the hospital and was barely recognizable when I walked into the room because of all the tubes and ventilators and other things hooked up to her body. But it wouldn't have mattered if she had been recognizable because I had never met her before. With 1,200 members, it was impossible to know everybody. I walked in, and it was not unusual for me to walk into a hospital room and to introduce myself to the person I was visiting and then give them pastoral care, but this time was different. Not only had I not met her before, but she didn't even know I was there. She was in a coma, unaware of her surroundings. And the doctors had told me that they expected her to die at any minute. I had never been at the bedside of somebody when they died. And so my anxiety level was quite high. And to top it all off, she was alone. Her family lived at quite a distance, and they had not yet been able to come in to be at her bedside, so I was her only companion. After I stayed for a little while, I could have left, thinking she won't know any different. She doesn't even know me. And yet I stayed. I sat at her bedside. And then the question came to me, what does one do while visiting a non-responsive stranger in the hospital? Did she even know I was there? I began to recite the Psalms, as many as I could remember, because I hadn't had my Bible with me because of the emergency call. I was coming from another event. And so I was relying on my memory. So I started with Psalm 23, good old faithful. And then I remembered Psalm 100. And then, as a teenager, I had memorized Psalm 139. But then my memory faded. I had no more psalms to offer her. 
So I started again. Psalm 23, Psalm 100, Psalm 139, as I repeated the Psalms over and over again by memory. I realized that there were, that these Psalms were as much for me as they were for her at this time. Never having been in this situation before, waiting for death to take her, I needed the comfort and reassurance too. I sat with her in the ICU room for over two hours. Nothing changed. The ventilators kept popping up. The beeps on the machines kept beeping. I repeated those three psalms every 10 to 15 minutes while I was with her, saying them almost to the rhythm of the ventilator and to the machines. Finally, after almost three hours, I left her alone in that room waiting to die that Friday, Good Friday. The rest of the day and the evening after my next appointment, I waited for the phone to ring to tell me from the hospital that she had passed away. The call didn't come that evening or the next. On Sunday morning, Easter morning, when I got to church, I asked Furman, my supervising pastor, how she was doing. And he said, she's amazingly turned a a corner. She's awake. And they are somewhat optimistic that she, may be pull, that she may even be able to pull through. No one expected that. Three weeks later, I stopped by her room at the nursing home. She was sitting up in her wheelchair, wide awake, looking at a magazine. I knocked on the door and entered and introduced myself. I told her that she didn't know who I was, and that was fine. But I wanted to tell her how I had been connected to her. So I began to tell her that I had visited her hospital room a few weeks prior when she was in the ICU. And before I even got any further than that, she stopped me. And she said, you're the one. You're the one who was in the room with me, who shared the Psalms with me. I would recognize your voice anywhere. She then proceeded to recite to me Psalm 23, Psalm 100, and Psalm 139. She had heard every word over and over again. She had no idea who I was at the time, but she heard it, and she felt God's presence through the Psalms. Now, I make no claims that my recitation of the Psalms aided in her healing. The Psalms would have been just as helpful, I believe, had she died that evening and passed on to the next world. But she heard the Psalms. She felt comforted by them, and she felt God's love and steadfastness even in the face of death, even when she heard them from a stranger. The Psalms connect us from our wilderness to the gentle steadfastness of God who is always present with us. And today's psalm, Psalm 107, begins with words of praise and gratitude, words that I suspect she wanted to say aloud after she realized that she was going to come out of this, even though she also would have sung these words perhaps had she not lived. 
But sometimes gratitude overwhelms us. Sometimes we experience moments individually or even collectively when thankfulness is inescapable. Have you ever had one of those experiences where it's just bubbling up inside of you, everything's going so right, and you just you feel like you're going to burst because you're so happy and you're so joyful? And we experience a life that floods us with joy. It's maybe the birth of a child or a graduation or falling in love or an anniversary, celebration, or healing from an illness, or a birthday celebration, or selling a house, or buying a house, or landing a new long-awaited job, they can become things that lead themselves to utter joy and gratitude. And the Psalms encourage us to shout these words of gratitude to God. And sometimes these words and these moments and these deep gratitude moments come to us in worship. And we're sitting there in the pew and we're, we're about ready to burst and everybody else seems to be focusing on the sermon. And we just want to get, get it out and express it. And we, we are not able to in that setting. And so we turn to God even in the quiet times. And we celebrate and express appreciation. And the words of the psalmist begin our affirmation in chapter 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. For God's steadfast love endures forever. So this first verse of Psalm 107 is pretty easy. It's something that all of us can relate to at least some point in our life. All of us can sing a verse that praises and gives thanks. And yet I confess that in those moments, even when joy and happiness is bubbling out of me, it's hard for me. Because I know that for the good times in my life, there have been and probably will be some pretty bad and painful times. And the psalmist, interestingly, leads us directly from verse 1 in chapter 107 into verse 2 saying that those who have been redeemed from trouble, those who have gone through those tough times, they, sh- they should say or say that God is good. Well, sure, that's a lot easier to say when you've gone through. Notice the past tense, when you've gone through. But hello, God, what about when I'm going through it right now? So the psalmist is acknowledging that life isn't always a piece of cake. Life is going to definitely have its ups and downs, and we're going to have our times in the desert and the wilderness. And it's echoed actually several times throughout this psalm. The psalmist says, Some, but not all, cried to Yahweh, to God in their trouble. And they were delivered. They were saved. They were brought out from their distress. And so the psalmist is celebrating that when we are in trouble, when we are struggling alone or in crisis, God will indeed save us. But yet many of us here who have called to God in our distress, in our crises, in our times of aloneness, in our wilderness journeys, have called to God and have not been delivered, have not been saved, have not been brought out from distress. Who here has suffered the death of a loved one and cried to God, Why? Why? And has never received a clear answer. Who is living with a chronic illness that most likely will never receive full physical healing? 
who feels as though she is still wandering in the wilderness after years and years of praying. For whom and for how many does singing this song feel like a lie? Sometimes it's more than we can ever imagine or our souls care to even think about, to give honest thanks, to sincerely affirm the goodness of God. Sometimes our hearts say something more like Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah said to God in chapter 20 of the book of Jeremiah, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered and prevailed. A year and a half ago, I received the best present that Sue Conrad could ever receive for Christmas, a GPS. It has been one of the absolute best life-saving pieces of mechanical insight I have ever owned, because I don't know how many of you know this. This is one of those things I try to hide from most people, but here's full confession time. I have the world's worst sense of direction. And not only do I have an awful sense of direction, But when I do get lost, I panic. I get totally freaked out. I mean, I'm just glad I wasn't an Israelite, because 40 years would have just done me in. I could not, I honestly could not have handled it. You see, I experience this deep anxiety when I get lost. And I, I just this week, I was trying to think about that. What is this all about? It's not knowing where I'm going. It's not knowing how to get out of this situation. And this panic comes over me and it sounds bad and well it is bad I mean I really really struggle with being lost I struggle so much with loss that my GPS her name is Kate (laughs) because when I'm with Kate I feel a lot better she can at least help me a little bit usually Kate's Kate's pretty good 99% of the time Well, I thought about my GPS, I thought about Kate this week as I was reading Psalm 107, because in verses 3 through 7, the psalmist is talking about people who are wandering, who are lost. And part of the suffering of these people, part of the suffering of their lost feeling, is not just the physical want, and I know that physical want, that physical, like, where am I and how do I get away from here to where I want to go? But not only that, but they are cut off from stable, life-giving communities. I think that's one of the fears that I have when I'm lost. I'm not afraid to ask somebody for directions, but sometimes there isn't anybody to ask for directions when I'm lost. The image of the nomadic wandering that we read in Psalm 107 is contrasted with settled life in a walled, gated community. And it's evocative when you think about the two differences. Out in the desert, you have no shelter from environmental conditions beyond your control. Think about being in the desert alone. You've got the wind, you've got the heat, the dust, the predators, the bandits. But inside a city... You're protected from climate and wild animals, and you have a social safety network of neighbors who are likely also family who will cushion you against life's shocks. Sometimes we make it hard or harder for our life when we are in hard times by allowing ourselves to be distanced or estranged from that community, those enclosed walls. 
when I'm lost without a map or a GPS or another human being to calm me down, I begin to panic. I feel incredibly isolated and alone and distanced, like the writer of Psalms identifies of those in the wilderness. But for them, for those people who are lost, their guide, the psalmist says, is God, and God will guide them back. And where does this sovereign GPS take them? Not to a posh hotel with catered meals or to a fancy spa with body wraps and massages. No, verse 7 of chapter 7 says, God guides them back to an inhabited town. God guides them back to community. God doesn't always take away the problems, but God delivers them to a group of people who can assist them with their problems. It is in a community that we can face our fears. It is in community that the fears seem less overwhelming. It is in community that we hear and see and experience God, even if things still aren't perfect. It is in community that we can say, thanks be to God for this place and for these people. Thanks be to God for the steadfastness of walking with me through life. So the salvation of God is aptly described in verse 7 as being led by a straight path to a place of supportive community. And this is the gift of grace. One commentator wrote, all of us are on a journey, a life journey. We come from different places. We take different roads. We use different means of transportation. We travel at different rates of speed, but we all have a common destination. All of us from, from time to time forget or don't know the purpose of our journey and take some curious detours. But God always tries to bring us back on course, even when we don't know that we are lost. When we are hurt on our travels and cry out in pain, God hears us and comes to us and eases our pain if we listen. And at the end of our journey, we will encounter all of our fellow travelers and enjoy each of each other's stories. Even if we didn't really like that person or the story before. The purpose of our journey is to discover the importance of relationships. The end of the journey celebrates the fullness of those relationships forever. And so we gather this morning or any other Sunday morning. And when we do, we may be suffering in our own pain, physical or emotional. We may be saying it's really hard to celebrate with that person when it seems as though everything seems to be just going perfectly right in her life and nothing seems to be going right in my life. But the psalmist brings us together for that very purpose. Not because we have to put on a happy face and pretend that our lives are rosy, but because together in community we walk with each other. We lift each other up. We cheer even when we don't have anything to cheer about for ourselves. And we support, knowing that someday we very well may be the one who needs the supporting and cheering. We listen to each other with the ears of Christ listening for the needs and celebrating with the joys. We listen as people of faith who testify to the goodness of God, whose presence is with us always through the Holy Spirit, 
and through the ones we call brothers and sisters. The psalmist reminds us that God does not reward us with good because of our obedience. The psalmist also reminds us that God is not one to punish us because of our disobedience. The psalmist reminds us that God is steadfast. God is with us in the good and the bad, and the psalmist reminds us that it is our job as the community of faith to testify to each other that God is with us, all of us, through the good and the bad, and that our presence with each other through those times is a reminder of God's presence with us, both now and forevermore. And for that, we give thanks. Amen.